under your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. Uh, welcome to it. On earlier this week, on the Joey Clark Radio Hour, I, album of the day was The Captain to Me, a song that very much reminded me of my dad, him, me being in the passenger seat, him at the driver's seat, our left arm out the window, perpetually tanned. And this is the other music, that and Steely Dan, that reminds me of my dad, a collective soul. Love this song since I've been a little kid. And alongside me tonight is Skipper. How you doing, man? Hey, man. I'm excited about being here. I appreciate the invite to come yeah. back. Um, I know last time I was here, we focused like on one album and talked about an album, but everybody said, y'all will come back and just talk music. And uh, Right. I'm excited about tonight. I'm Me too. Bell's on. It's like, uh, I, we don't necessarily know what we're doing, but it feels <laughs> good. Like we're doing well. And yeah. Last time we talked about uh, Discovery, Disco Very ELO. But, you know, I'm thinking of what I've been listening to a lot lately. I'm always listening to Prince or some variant of Prince. But uh, a lot of Johnny Taylor at our house, a lot of Tyrone Davis. And that's mostly my roommate Andrew's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, love that stuff. And I just told them, I think my favorite Johnny Taylor album is Tailored in Silk because of how that was produced. <laughs> it's that 70s overproduction that I love about it. And uh, not only that, but uh, the... Uh the cover of the album is an all-time classic. Oh, it's fantastic. And uh, it's a silk... For those of you that don't know the album, Tailored in Silk, It's uh, it has the... Uh, it has some threads on the cover. It's just yeah. like a suit. And uh, But what people don't know about that suit is... Uh, that is the suit Johnny Taylor was wearing when he signed his first album contract. Wow. And uh, they uh, had given him an advance prior to the signing so he could be dressed for a photo shoot and uh he bought that suit and uh he said from that point on i decided i would be tailored in silk well and no matter money troubles the guy was always dressed to the nights oh yeah he was known for being always ahead of the head of the 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 curve or whatever he knew fashion he was always looking good but i also you know having a mix doobie brothers Johnny Taylor. Mm-hmm. I want to start this way. What is like, because I'm thinking of music that reminds me of my father and mm-hmm. like being a kid, it's Steely Dan, it's the Doobie Brothers, it's Collective Soul. Strangely, my dad went on a Melissa Etheridge kick. Wow. I don't know. Really, you're listening to Sapphic Rock, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, what is some, uh, not a great, you know, it might be a great album or it may not be, but what reminds you of kind of childhood and that sort of stuff? Um, really, to be honest with you, my, my we didn't have a TV at my house when I was, until I was a teenager. Hmm. And uh, my mother and father listened to a lot of music. My my parents were kind of audiophiles. 
which is is kind of interesting. Um, my father was really into uh, Mitch Miller and big bands, swing. Um, but of course, he, he was a little older than my mother, and my mother was really into pop music. She <laughs> loved pop music, uh, but I was heavily influenced by things like uh, uh, Mitch Miller, Tennessee Ernie Ford. Um, a lot of Blue Note jazz, <laughs> Art Blakey especially. My dad was a big Art Blakey fan. Okay. And loved Blue Note jazz. We had probably, oh, 50, 60 albums on Blue Note. Just different jazz artists. Wish I still had a lot of those. I have some of them. Uh, some of them, frankly, just got worn out. And uh, my mother, uh, during the day in the afternoons, when I'd be home at the afternoons, she would load the, uh, she had one of these big RCA uh, roll tops yeah. you know, that you'd open the top and it had an FM in it and a tuner and it was all one big cabinet speakers and everything. And she would load that thing up and she would put on uh, early Beatles. She would play things like Dobie Gray. She was a big Dobie Gray fan in the 70s. She had some Dobie Gray. Love Drift Away. That was one of her favorite songs. And she would play that album. That's still one of my favorite albums still today. And uh, I heard a lot of Southern soul and a lot of pop. And, and I, I was kind of like, you know, my first foray into music, it was, it was pretty much that kind of stuff. Okay. It was either, you know, Glenn Miller or <laughs> the Beatles. And... Uh, so I've been kind of mixed up kid ever since. Well, and I was looking up earlier today, just quickly, like albums that are now 50 years old. Oh, yeah. In 68, yeah. and yeah. some big ones pop out. Oh, yeah. Beatles, White Album. Yeah. My favorite version of Revolutions on that. Not Revolution number nine, Yoko Ono. It, it's, uh, <laughs> no, uh, what is the it? The slowed down version? Yeah, the Revolution. acoustic kind of yeah. doo-woppy yeah. thing going on. I love that. I version. like that one, too. Well, you know, the thing about, the, the thing about all these albums... Uh, the thing that amazes me is I am, am a avid record collector. I think a lot of people know that. I have been a long time. Yeah. Um, is the fact that these things are still out there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so much... You know, think of how many other items that were produced for public consumption 50 years ago. I mean, how many of those items are still around? I mean, do you really see pet rocks everywhere? Right. You know what I'm saying? That's stuff that's not even that old from the 70s. Well, and I was watching it. But these albums have hung around. They really you know, have. And they're still here. Well, and it, I'm sure there's a music equivalent of this. I was watching an interview with Mike Myers, uh, you know, Austin Powers, all that, mm -hmm. uh, last night. And they, he said it's not correct to say Austin Powers is a parody of James Bond. It's actually a tribute to parodies back at like in like Flint. It's yeah. sort of that quick consumer sweetness, and I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of that music in the '60s. And yeah, I mean, and, and there is a lot of it. And, and the thing that amazes me still is uh, people that you know uh, when they they get certain albums. I have people come to me all the time with Beatles albums. This is the number one culprit. And they come up and they say, "Oh man, I've got I got Beatles on Apple. I bet this worth." lot of money and i'm like no not really no. you know people don't don't understand uh you know you want some, you want some some beetles that's worth some money then you need to get like a first edition of a beetles album from the uk like a test pressing <laughs> right <laughs> or something like you got money on that but if you if you just got an early album i mean though because there were so many millions of them pressed and they're still pressing and, them today and and, and they don't really degrade at all. I mean, if, if right. you keep an album nice, I, I keep all my albums in plastic sleeves. 
uh, you know, I clean them. I keep fingerprints off of them. They'll last for another hundred years. It's amazing. I, I mean, they'll eventually will get brittle, you know, but it's not going to be in my lifetime or my kid's lifetime. Well, and there, there's so much they continue to reissue. And the trend of music now is last year, R&B and hip-hop overtook rock and roll. But mm-hmm. that's streaming, CDs, right. vinyl, all this stuff. But vinyl, it's on its way up again. Another consecutive year, vinyl sales are going up. Uh, you, you, and the number one album was Sgt. Pepper. Yeah, and, and see, but you don't get the same. To me, vinyl, I've always liked vinyl best, even through the CD era. And I had a couple of hundred CDs during the CD era. But I always had my vinyl because um, it's a little bit more trouble to play. There's a little bit more maintenance involved. But there's nothing like having that gatefold album that opens up and then inside is written all this information about the band and who played on the album and you you know in in the CDs would have some of that in the liner notes but it's so damn small I couldn't right you know I would lose uh, trying to read it it was just a hassle to try to read it and eventually they even quit doing that and then it's just not as personal as an album to me it isn't and especially if it's a great artwork on an album oh yeah, uh, oh, so, yeah. for instance uh, one nation under a groove i picked it up funkadelic and i've listened to it a lot before mm-hmm. i ever got the vinyl but actually having the artwork that when you open it up inside is like 50 <laughs> far side cartoons yeah, there's yeah. there's one where it's uh one of the guys it's, from funkadelic holding up his right hand saying at a clan rally you can see a burning cross well, and a guy in a clan he goes boy i just came here for the funk and yeah. like you get silly stuff like that well we'll see it's, it's like a uh what is it the uh one of the uh the jan the janice joplin big, big brother and the holding company got mm. cheap thrills you know, you got famous cartoonists all over that 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 did that, and a lot of uh, people don't realize the the artistry that went into making those covers and the artists that were on them. A lot of people don't know that uh, the uh, America's Greatest Hits. Uh, have you ever seen that album? It's got a cartoon drawing of the band on the front of it, and there's like the Tower of London, I think it is. And I'm not sure if I have seen that. It's a cartoon drawing. Phil Hartman did that. Oh, he was, yeah. Phil Hartman was an illustrator for several of the labels, and there were a lot of Phil Hartman covers out there. Poco, uh, so a bunch of different bands have Phil Hartman covers. Now, another album that's 50 years old this year is uh, Electric Ladyland. Yeah. Which is being reissued. So I have that one at home. Yep. Incredible album. It's still to this day, I think, is influential. Just the way they put sounds together. I think that, that Hendrix was... Uh, I mean, there's no... To say he was an innovator, that's, that's an easy right. out. But there was so much going on in his mind as far as music. And the thing... Uh, 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 you know, he was one of those guys that was kind of unlike Clapton... And Lennon and McCartney and uh, a lot of the other great guitarists, Gilmore, Floyd, that was was coming up through that time period, um, they would play, they would take breaks, and they would go play. And Hendrix carried his guitar with him every single day. He was never really seen without his guitar. I mean, there's photos of him without it, but it's sitting somewhere right outside of the photo shoot. And he he would sit around and play. And when he was just sitting... You know, you know, taking a break. Just the band would be walking around having a smoke, taking a break. He'd be sitting there noodling around on the guitar. Mm-hmm. He played every day, all day. And uh, I think if he had lived, we would probably have seen 
a lot more innovation. Uh, there was a lot of innovation there, and a lot of things that were that people have emulated off him, studio techniques and all that kind of stuff. I think there would have been a lot more. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, and it's it's just a shame that mine. Well, and I love uh, when they break down, like the classic albums documentaries, when they break down that album, being able to hear just the parts. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Eddie Kramer was engineer on yeah. that album. Yeah. And just hearing, like, I always thought Hendrix didn't have the greatest voice, but when you hear just his vocal track with just his guitar track, it's perfect. Spot on. Rhythm, rhythmically, yeah. it's perfect. It's yeah. in perfect pitch. It's incredible when somebody. Now, I love stories about Hendrix because they said he was always the weird kid. And at the playground, sitting by himself in the corner. Yeah. Um, today, we might suspect he's going to shoot up a school. <laughs> uh, sorry for the joke. But it's like they said, even when he was an adult, he, he it took when it took everybody one acid hit to get where they wanted to be. Jimmy would take two. He was just a weird guy. He's one of those guys that pushed the limits, like, kind of like um, uh, Jim Morrison, you mm. know. I remember there's a great story uh, that Grace Slick tells about Jim Morrison. And pushing the envelope, and uh, they went to Amsterdam. You know, they were on a, a European tour, and it was uh, Jefferson Airplane, The Doors, and they got into town. and the uh, The first show was the next afternoon, and they went walking through this park in Amsterdam. And she said, "You know, everybody was kind of buzzed, yeah, already, and people were just walking up in Amsterdam. You know, handing." You know, oh wow, Jefferson Airplane doors. You know, handing them joints, handing them hits of acid, that sort of thing. And uh, they were like, she said, we would take them and say thank you, and we'd stick them in our pocket. You know, whatever, because we were already buzzed. And she said, uh, I I swear to you, everything that Jim was handed, he took. Wow. And she said, uh, we got really scared. <laughs> yeah. She said after about a couple of blocks, because she said eight or nine people walked up and handed him different types of drugs and he just popped it and did it. And he had no... That's crazy. He was not afraid to, you know, go into that realm. And she said he would just get, you know, obliterated to the point that he could, he was, you know, would babble and couldn't... But would always bounce back. Just never... And it's crazy how, like, with those drugs come in at that time, you can tell people are just, like you said, getting obliterated on it. Some people are talking about mind expanding. Compare that to today where you have people in Silicon Valley microdosing themselves, Man. which sounds remarkable to me. <laughs> like, apparently it helps productivity. And what that is, folks who don't know, they're taking trace amounts of, say, psilocybin or LSD before they go to work. And apparently it helps with their focus and their energy and all this stuff. But I, I kind of like the, the romanticized version of that 60s era, 50 years ago. Yeah. You think it, do you think it has something to do, uh, the generations, you know, that have come along, you know, the, the greatest generation, hmm. um, there were a lot of tough guys, you oh, know. Those yeah. And I'm wondering if those constitutions were with, with some of these guys like Keith, you know, Keith Moon had an incredible tolerance. Right. To like uh, Keith Richards, you know, oh, I mean, he's I mean, he's done every drug known to man, and then twice on Sunday, and he has a checkup, and they're like, "Hey, a hundred percent," you know, he's doing great. Um, and and then Morrison, you know, he you know uh, was very into LSD, but just had a tolerance. You know, just nothing hurt him. Everything just kind of bounced off, and you know, uh, I think about people that I ran with growing up, you know, we we didn't do any of that stuff, really. 
Um, but, you know, we, we might have smoked a joint, you right, know, whatever you know, like whatever. that. But we didn't... Uh, you know, we didn't do any hard drugs or anything like that, and and uh, I'm looking back on it, it would have killed us. Well, and it's, I would have been afraid it would kill me. I wouldn't do it just from the standpoint that I would be afraid I'd die. It's still incredible to me though that time period, the late '60s into the early '70s, mm-hmm. is still so talked about, and, I'm, and not just in music certainly, but in so many ways. That well, it, you know, it was political time too, and a lot of the music that was going on was very political at that time. Like people don't realize that. Uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, Morrison's dad um, was a rear admiral in the Navy. And uh, he commanded the carrier division that was in the Gulf of Tonkin. And, 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 it, and it, he was one of the people responsible, really, for escalating the war in Vietnam. The, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, that was Jim Morrison's father was in charge of everything going on in that carrier force over there. And uh, and then his son, you know, on the flip side of that is, like, doing LSD and, you know, preaching against the war here in the U.S. Now, I want to get your perspective as a jock. And you're, when you weren't playing, say, the classic hits, you're playing new music that's coming out. What was your favorite time period? What comes to mind where you were excited mm. for the new stuff coming out and happy to play it for people? Um... You know, that's a hard question yeah. because I've, you know, boy, I, this is going to hurt a lot of people's ears when I say <laughs> this, but I would think that probably the time period that I was most happy with a, with a weekly playlist was probably 83 to about 87. Wow. And uh, because... The music was the music. There was a lot of of commercial garbage that yeah. was dumped at that time, but the bands that were that were uh, in the mix with the studios that were still trying to put out good music were putting out pretty excellent music. And you still had a lot of the seventies guys that were excellent in the seventies that were still hanging around in the eighties. Sure, and. Uh, it, it was easier to do music in the 80s than any other time that I worked as a music director or, or was around a music office. In the 70s, it was incredibly hard because you had 40 hits a week. You know, you might have uh, 38, 40 hits on your, your roster. Hmm. And you'd have another 25 songs that were excellent that just got overlooked and stuff that never happened. And I can sit here and just babble for an hour great records that never got played because there was just no room on the playlist. Right Now, in the 80s, that was not the case. Hmm. There was a lot of garbage. <laughs> and the cream kind of rose to the top. And it was easy to go in and do music because, you know, you'd have some stuff and you go, everybody would agree that 99 Loft Balloons is, well, it's, yeah. that's not one you want to really care about hearing again or wham, wake me up before you go-go. Right. But at the same time, in that time frame, you had, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye, Sexual Healing. Yeah. That album, God, was just a awesome. Well, you get and, and so you had diversity. great acts from overseas that some of them became one-hit wonders bands like The Outfield. And um 
you had a lot of, 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 of earlier 70s bands that were experimenting with stuff, and Genesis came out. And But, of course, Genesis, you know, had the Phil Collins overkill. Um, if we could take away all of the Phil Collins solo music, I think there would be more Genesis fans in the world. Fair enough. He, he blew... You know, he. You know, I mean, there was a time when we would have to watch the, uh, the, uh, the computer scheduler, which was brand new in the '80s, to make sure that we didn't overplay Phil Collins and Genesis because if you just let it auto schedule, you'd have something every hour, right. and you can't, couldn't, you couldn't help it. There was just too much of it, you know. Right. Well, and, and I'm it, thinking back to that time period. You, I mean, you have sort of the using new technology. Uh, it was an exciting time. We we were we were getting away from from doing things the way that they had done, and technology was lending itself. And the new technology was exciting. What we didn't know was the technology that we were having fun playing with was actually a demon that was about to consume us and destroy us. You talking about sampling? Uh, sampling computer automation. Yeah. Uh, and and radio station owners went crazy when they, they they saw you know first thing that happened was the computer scheduling, computer scheduling came up, and uh, it was really cool and everybody was into it because hey you know we're using we would use cards we would have cards that were different colors like punch cards no or? well just like index cards okay. and you would you would you know you would have a clock and as you work through your hour you'd pull a card and. You know, for your first A or hot rotation song of the hour, and then you'd pull a yellow for your medium rotation, okay. and a, a blue for your recurrent, and then you pulled any oldie you want. When you pulled it, you just wrote the date down in the oldies book. Yeah. You know, you go through the oldies book and pull your songs from there and write down a date, and that's how we kind of kept up with it. You know, you get on one working, oh man, I was going to play, uh, you know, uh, I was going to play uh, China Grove this afternoon, but gee, uh, you know, Birdman played it last night mm. at 7 o'clock because it's in the book, so I won't play that tonight. Right. Anyway, and we just kind of put the, everything together. We stood it on the fly. And when computer programming came in, uh, it, it was really unique. Okay. And um, we enjoyed it. It kept it made stations sound uh, a little bit better. Musically, you sounded better. But then the next question, you know, from management, line managers, was, can we run the station with it? Yeah. And whenever they started sampling audio i remember the first one in alabama was wlwi had a digilink computer that would play audio commercials and there was no more tape commercials everything went in digitally wow and you could cut it in the production room and it was available in the studio well and i i i like though that people Sometimes people, when you're talking about making the music itself, when the electronic automated stuff came in, you get the lazy approach with some disco. But into the 80s, you start to see the beginnings of, well, I think the beginnings of hip-hop, which there's Mm -hmm. a great documentary on Netflix called Hip-Hop Evolution, where the Bronx is literally on fire. And these folks just trying to get by are... They're not just playing a record on a turntable. They're, like, playing the turntable. It's Mm -hmm. remarkable, like Grandmaster Flash. I think that stuff's remarkable. But then the 80s is such a cool time just culturally because you still have sort of that Americana, uh, John Cougar, Mellencamp, rock. uh, Yeah. But then you also have, like, Boy George and Prince and all these (laughs) gender-bending things going on. Yeah. Like, it's such a diverse time. I never saw, uh, to be honest with you, when I first saw Culture Club, 
the first thing that popped into my mind, okay, this is the 80s answer to David Bowie from the 70s. Exactly. And and, and uh, you say, well, wait a minute. Now, Bowie's music is much more deep and... Um, Maybe, well, no, actually, some of the Culture Club stuff was kind of deep. If you yeah. look at the, the, the what they were talking about in the songs, talking about some culturally significant at the time things that now we take for granted. And and I I was not really a Culture Club fan, but you know I saw it as a as a, a further continuance of that. Uh, you know, that gender bend movement that started with Bowie in the well, 70s. That's what's so cool, too, is like everybody thinks it's so new. And then you can go nothing's back in new. time and you're nothing's like, new. nothing's new under the sun. Nothing's new. Uh, it, it, it is remarkable to me, though, when I asked you, like, what's your favorite period? Like, what's your favorite song? I, you know, Pendulat, who's the <laughs> magician, I saw an interview with him. He said that somebody asked him that. He's like, man, I know an, a knee-jerk answer that I have, but I've decided that the first time you lost, whenever you lost your virginity, you yeah. can't talk about 10 years after that. Yeah. It, it, like, everything is amazing after that, and yeah. music gets stuck in. It's interesting how music works like that, where I'm thinking of Brian May for Queen, talking about how the band would argue who gets the single. Because it wasn't just oh I want the money and it'll it'll play everywhere, yeah. but it's gonna make memories. They're gonna hear that song at the yep. beach. They're gonna hear yep. that song when they met the person they love. Uh, it, like it sticks with people, so well, you well, want I mean, that out there. How does it feel, you know, from songwriters' uh, perspective and the artist perspective, you know, to do these memorable songs and twenty five, thirty, forty years later? They're still being played on the radio, oh, and it's, you can tune into a station and hear something you knocked out that took 15 minutes in a studio 35 years ago. I think, like, White Room, Cream, 50 yeah. years old now, yeah. still played often. Oh, yeah. And it still sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think I saw, I had to tell you a funny story. I went over and saw Johnny Lang at the Impact. And before him, opening up for him was Doyle Brahman II. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's fantastic. I first saw him on a Eric Clapton Crossroads Fest DVD. Well, you know, he's Clapton saved his life. He really? was a heroin addict. There you go. And uh, Clapton knew of his guitar playing, knew of him, and got him to Antigua to his uh, area, cleaned him up. And wow. uh, got him out there. Without Clapton, we might not have a Doyle Bramall now. But well, and he he posted today that for International Women's Day, I'm I'm paying tribute to Cream and the what the woman tone <laughs> they came up with. But I uh, after uh, Doyle got done with his set, I went to go get another beer out in the lobby at the Impact, mm -hmm. and he was right next to his merch table. People yeah. are taking pictures, getting signatures, and it was a short line. So I walked up to him like. Hey Doyle, um, fantastic show. I'm, I don't need a picture or a signature. I just wanted to say I, I love what you do. I remember you years ago. You're a fantastic guitar player. Just great job. And he goes, Well, if you don't want a picture, can I take a picture of your shirt? I wasn't wearing this one, the Ric Flair <laughs> Woo shirt. I was wearing um, this new one I got. That's an image of Dave Chappelle holding pancakes, and it says Game Blouses. <laughs> and the Chappelle, and he loved the shirt. He's like, I got to take a picture of this and post this. And it, it's cool when you meet people who are doing the touring. Like, Doyle's not a huge star, but he's yeah. he's known for people who know, especially blues playing. Yeah. It, it's cool when you meet those folks, how Johnny down Lang, to earth. Johnny Lang's a picker, isn't he? Oh, he Man. was unreal. But I love people... We, you, you think of them as the rock god, the you know these demigods that are a little above us. But you meet them, they're like they're normal people. It gives hope to anybody out there working and trying to make music. I ran into, uh, I had gone to uh, Minneapolis 
And flying back, <clears throat> we came into Atlanta. And I got to be honest with you, I really I didn't recognize the guy right off because I wasn't really thinking about music. We had had a good time going up there and doing some stuff. And um, one of the compadres I was traveling with looked at me and he said, uh, "Is uh, said uh, look look over there?" He said, "That, that looks like Bo Diddley." <laughs> and I said, uh, "Looked." I said, "Yeah, he kind of favors Bo Diddley." And uh, he said, well, go talk to him. And I said, oh, what the hell? Yeah. yeah. Waiting around. I walked over and said, excuse me, sir, you Bo Diddley. And he, he looked up. He said, who wants to know? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, my name is Wendell J. I'm the skipper. I work for a radio station in Montgomery. And I just thought you were Bo Diddley. And he goes, how would I be Bo Diddley? I said, what would make you think I'm Bo Diddley? And I said, well, you got the the hat, the signature hat that he always wears. And I thought, then I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm into it now. This is some guy from Newark. Right. You know, and he goes, well, he goes, well, tell me what Bo Diddley did. <laughs> and I said, well, Bo Diddley hollowed out an acoustic guitar and put a microphone in it. And as far as I'm concerned, I think that was the first amplified guitar. It was before Fender and before any of these guys amplified a guitar. You know, he did it the, the analog way, I guess, you know, drilling a hole and sticking it in there. And he just looked at me and his mouth open and he goes, have a seat. Nice. And, uh, and it was Bo Diddley. Wow. And uh, it was Bo Diddley. And so we talked, and he had just, he was coming, he was going back to Mississippi from a gig he had done with George Thorgood in the Destroyers. And wow. uh, he had just done a show with George Thorgood. And uh, he, he talked about blues music, and uh, he said that he really liked George Thorgood. He said he was, he was uh, somebody that respected the music. Hmm. And he said, uh, he said, you know, there's a lot of blues pickers out there. And he named a few, which I'm, I won't shame him by having a guy like that. And he said, right. he said, I ain't got nothing personal against them, but he said, they don't respect the music. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, they, you know, he said they play it and they profess it, but they don't live the life. Mm. And he said, uh, Thorgood lives the life. I mean, he's a common guy. He said he, he remembers where he came from. He sits around on his porch on Friday nights, if he's not working somewhere and plays blues guitar with people in the neighborhood, yeah. and he said he lives it, and he said he's a generally good guy. Well, and it's almost especially with something like blues, you have to prove your. If you're Johnny Lang, you have to prove yourself because you aren't Bo Diddley. Puts a microphone in your guitar. <laughs> Everything's already there. You can kind of. Yeah. You have, uh, you know, what is it? You have Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> You have, I mean, you have the like Albert King, you have Freddie King. I still you can't know. figure out why the French booed him. Really? You know, they they booed Stevie Ray off the stage. What? They, the uh, blues and jazz. Well, I think it was just a jazz festival. It was a music festival, and uh, Stevie Ray they had a set, and they got out. To, they started playing, and the French people started booing him. They didn't like they didn't like the blues. Apparently, Texas they were blues? expecting jazz. Huh. They didn't like it, and they started booing him. And they literally shut his show down uh, after about I think three or four numbers. He just said, "Yeah, okay, well, thanks a lot," and walked off stage. <sighs> David Bowie watched this. He saw this happen, and he was just enamored at the guitar playing. And that's that's when he hired him to do uh, guitar on the uh, the album with uh, what was it? Let's dance. 
Oh yeah, because yeah. That's Stevie Ray that, that plays guitar that, on that album, and he said, I, he said, I just, he said, I couldn't understand why the audience didn't love him. He said, all I was thinking about was I got to hire this guy, <laughs> you know, to do my album like now. And like he found him backstage and said, yeah, just don't worry about this crap. Come with me. Right. It, <laughs> and, we got some work to do. Well, and Bowie had an eye for that. Like, I mean, Bowie after Ziggy Stardust goes to I think the Apollo in New York City and finds Luther Van. He's like, I'm gonna make a soul album. He had this eye for talent, and it ends up creating an incredible album, Young Americans. Uh, but Steve Ray Vaughan is, uh, I haven't talked about him much, but he's a big influence on me. I listen to a lot of Steve Ray Vaughan. Um, yeah, that, and that one guitar that he had, man, he, you know. Oh, that Fender? Yeah. Yeah, he wore that. I mean, well, I mean, out. come on, it's like he... His initials on the front were uh, actually like if you go and buy, if you have a house trailer and you buy like numbers to stick on your house trailer that have the sticky on the back, like the metal numbers, that's what this Stevie S, you know, Stevie Ravon SRV on the guitar right out of house trailer identification. They just stuck them on the guitar. <laughs> well, and you get a few artists like that today. Like Jack White comes to mind. We were talking about him off air. Yeah. Like the artist that just takes so much interest in every aspect of their craft. It's not just oh, yeah. the song. It's the the artwork on the LP. It's it's so much about it. But we got to hit a quick break here. Yeah, because we're already we talk a lot about this stuff, man. But yeah. we'll go out with a little. Stevie Ray Vaughan will testify. That's what I say. Be right back, and I'm going to try when we come back to get you to tell a story you told me at Rick and Moe's. Oh, okay. I'm going to play just a part of the song you told me about. (laughs) See if you'll share that one. All right. Well, we'll be back in just a second. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Alongside me, the skipper. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me out tonight. And by the way, you do a great job with the news, too. Oh, well. And the lady said, oh, there's some pot in the car. Uh, well, it's true. That's what she said. That, that's got to be my, my favorite dumb quirk of the week. It's like, why keep it in the car? <laughs> Joey Clark. Oh, welcome back. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Shout out, thank you so much to Mike who just called, said he hadn't heard the show before. Asked if we were on every night, said he loved the conversation, and uh, he'll be listening again. So thank you, Mike. It's not always Skipper. Yeah, tonight it's just Joey Clark with extra cheese. (laughs) Extra cheese, extra bacon tonight. Now, you, um, (laughs) you told me a story about this song, Computer Blue. A few years ago, you said it was like you played it here in Montgomery. The whole thing, like, Wendy, yes, Lisa. Oh, yeah, yeah. We played it at uh, BAM 99. We played it on BAM 99 one night. Was it allowed in these parts? Because it's a pretty, especially that beginning part. It was, at that time, it was shocking. But to give you some perspective, okay, just a few years earlier, uh, Olivia Newton-John had a hit with a song called Physical. Yes, I remember that. Now, one. if you're a pop 
if if you know pop music and you know Olivia Newton John, uh, I prefer the MCA years in the seventies. Good stuff there with the Jordan Hairs and all of the Memphis Mafia. But uh, she came out with Physical, and uh, we were playing it at WHHY. It was a top 40 hit. It was on American Top 40. And mothers began calling the radio station. And Larry Stevens, can pro- he probably remembers this. I'm, I'm, I mean, I would think he, does, he, he would. They called the radio station, and we, we had to pull it. We pulled it. Wow. We had to pull it because there were too many complaints. Mothers were just really upset and infuriated that we were playing a song that was like, let's get physical. Right. You know, let me hear your body talk. Right. You know. It's just a workout song. <laughs> well, yeah, but 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 yeah. but my point is at that time Yeah. In that now now, I mean, for God's sakes, you know, I mean, we've got women walking around nude on network TV now. Right. But but in the 80s, when that, and that was just a few years earlier, and uh, we that, well, that song came off the air. And we would, I remember distinctly playing American Top 40 and having to uh, bail out of the program when physical came up. We, you know, we had a, uh, we had like a log that told us what song was coming up. We, you know, we knew what was going to be played next on the show. And we would have to bail out of it and we would take a break there and skip through the program with a quick break. And uh, coming out of the break, I would go on the air out of the break, and I would say, and the number 17 song in the nation this week was Physical by Olivia Newton-John. Now on with the countdown. <laughs> and then you'd hear like, number 16? You know, the way Casey did it. And we would just jump. We would skip the song in the wow. countdown. And it was number one. Wow. And when it got into the top ten, it was kind of like, okay, you know, we can't, what are, you know, what are we going to do? You know, the song went number one got to play the number one song and, uh, so we just we played it on American Top 40 and I think we took heat even then we took heat but we just would play it you know we would tell people look we've got to we play this show it's a national show and it's going to be played on that show but that's the only time it's going to be played right you know you're not going to hear it at night and 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 it you know that was what happened now bam 99 uh continued to play it for a while and I think they even got some heat too. But as I remember, Bam played it a good bit longer than we did. Hmm. And uh, so then when Computer Blue came out, you know, a little bit later, the Purple it was, Rain '84. It was a little provocative. Oh, yeah. And uh, but we, I remember uh, Fred Cody was my program director, and he goes, uh, "We gotta play this." And I, I said, "I know," but it was one of those conversations you have like before you go on, you know. And he goes gotta play this tonight and i'm like we're gonna take heat you know we, we're, this is gonna be a, if we get in trouble you know you, you you know you gotta stand up for me and tell him i didn't do it on a fly right know? he's like oh no 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 i because I, gotta do it gotta do it and uh we did it and um to be honest with you i don't really remember much feedback off of it right away mm-hmm. and uh we wound up playing it a few more times Okay, you know, and, and uh, it was well, it was, but it was scary. It was like you know, I remember I remember playing it and thinking, 
Well, this, I mean, this could go either way. <laughs> it's funny to me that uh, Purple Rain's the one that gets Tipper Gore's panties in a wad. Yeah, uh, oh yeah. Because yeah. you look at like the Dirty Mind album and some things off 1999. Oh, Louie Louie by the Kingsman got pulled at radio stations all over the country. <laughs> And uh, because of dirty lyrics, and they they claim the lyrics were dirty, and then, then they produced the lyrics, and they still say, "Well, this guy's singing something different." Because he, the, they had a really, uh, you know, the uh, lead singer had, you know, he, you couldn't really understand him, and they, they say, "Innuendo, innuendo," and I mean, they, they were that that song got yanked off the air. It's crazy I mean, how much things remember, have changed. People don't remember, you know. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that got yanked off the air. Well, and now it seems mild compared to what we put on air um, on uh, across genre. Donna right? Summer got pulled off of. There was a, a group of stations in the Midwest that was owned by the Mormons. Yeah, love to love you, baby. Got snatched off of those puppies like after the third play. Yeah, you know. Of course, you you know have the. Have, and it, 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 there's some stories about that. I don't. I don't know the. <laughs> the truth but uh, if you know love to love you baby by donna summer there's uh, very intense orgasmic yeah the way she sings very orgasmic mm. uh way she sings that song and uh i always thought it was kind of interesting too because on that album she thanks god for <laughs> right well that's what prince did he mixed god and sex all the time yeah, I mean, it confuses it's, people it's just it, it, it is kind of confusing really yeah. it's kind of a paradox but well, let's go to the phones real quick talk to biloxi gambler he's been hanging on hey what's up man best music jock in the world is wendell skipper right there well, that's a very high praise coming I from listen, you. I li I listen, and, and don't ever get into a music trivia contest with that. <laughs> you will be toast. Well, I, I don't agree. know. Well, look, I tell people this all the time, dude. I, you know, uh, I couldn't tell you the first thing about plumbing. But there's some guys out there that can tell you every fitting and how it works and what you use on it and what kind of wrench you need. It's just because I've been doing it a long time. And there, believe it or not, are a lot of people out there that are smarter than me with music trivia. It's crazy. I, I know some of the guy, these guys, and I'm a babe in their neck of the woods because they okay, are yeah, crazy. But I'll put it to you like this, though. I'll give you a run for your money. That's right. <laughs> I'll make you. If you win, I'm going to make you work for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and listen, with with uh, Wendell, when you're when you're on the news, uh, the the voice inflection and yeah. and and your pauses and the way you hit things, I'm telling you, if you remember Robert Charles back in the day, I'm no, I do, you, I do okay, remember Robert, and, and and you do it for Robert. I, I'm telling you, you, you you're. You you are right on the money, buddy. I'm telling you, you're, you're, you are a Montgomery legend. Okay? I don't know if I'm supposed to even say this. Or not. I'm not sure I'm going to be doing the news much longer, though. There's oh, really? Maybe some changes coming there, but we, I can't. We shall see. I can't officially say anything. Yeah, we so shall see. Well, I don't, I don't know if I'll be around on that genre much longer. But well, I've been. I've, I've always been the Blue Water fill-in kid. <laughs> I'm just the guy that hangs out at the station and I cover all of the jobs that get like we don't have somebody plug him in there. <laughs> and I can, I'll sit in and do it, and then I'll go. You know. And you're on ninety-seven point one. Is that it? No, I'm actually, believe it or not, I am doing middays now on Bama Country ninety-eight point nine every day as Wendell J from Well Skipper from uh, ten o'clock to two in the afternoon, and I'm doing afternoons from two to seven. 
uh, taped my last hour today for that show on uh, 1071. Uh, it's uh, The Vault, 1071. So you're 1071. For, cause I, I want to hear you. I, I don't care if it's a voice two, track or two not. To, 2 to 7 on 1071 FM. 2 to 7 is live, right? The Vault. 2 to 7, 1071, The Vault. And we do album rock and trivia all afternoon. Long, okay. that's all we do. All right, yeah. Th- th- thank you, buddy. Take care. Right. Thank you, man. Yep. Let's go back to the phones and talk to Soldier Boy. What's up, Soldier Boy? What's up, gentlemen? I just want to say two things. Two things helped me get through puberty. A, <laughs> Love to Love You, Baby by Donna Summer. <laughs> and I, sometimes I even played it a little slower. <laughs> you know, on, oh, thir- yeah. on 33 and a third, if it's the 45 uh, version on 33 and a third, that kind of stretches you know, things out. Yeah, that's right. And the second thing was my Farrah Fawcett poster, which I got at Spencer's. Best 99 cents ever spent. I had one uh, on uh, the back of my door hidden. There you go. And my mother missed it for about six months and uh, one day came into my room angry that I had not put something in my closet and uh, shut my door to open my closet and saw Farrah's nipple hanging there on there the, inside that bathing suit, and she <laughs> ripped that thing off the wall and said, how dare you hang something. Oh, I hanged my coat hanger on it. In my house, and I said, oh, uh-huh. gee, I said, all the other guys had it. And then, you don't hang this in I'm my house. I'm just a red-blooded and American male. Out she That's went. That's right. Going think, through puberty, baby. And then I went back by Spencer's and got another one. Hey, uh, you remember uh, those, uh, those uh, Prince tickets I got you, Joey? Yeah. Okay. I was uh, telling your, your your friend there. Um, I had I had the pleasure of seeing Sign of the Times when Sheila E got to drive. She was playing a snare drum coming up on stage, and she walked right by us. Oh wow! I guess that had to be the opening for the. Uh, so you guys, oh, yeah. you guys, you know, remember all this this stuff with Prince and all. I remember going and uh, seeing Parliament Funkadelics. Ah, and. You know who the best bad, ever in show is at the concert? George Clinton, the spaceship comes down uh, out of the rafters. Oh, yeah. And uh, the with top the boots. pops open, and, and they all come out, and Clinton's rolled out, and Clinton's like in a tub with suds all <laughs> over him, you know, like in a big bathtub, and they're all in there just. Oh, uh, that was the stuff. And they went into, we need the funk. Funkadelic. Oh, well, you put uh, some glide in your stride and some dip in your hip. Now, that was my, hey. yeah, that was my, that was my, my funk days, you know. Sure. Guess what I got was a gift today, man. Hmm. The, 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 the best thing that rock and roll could ever get. You know, the two concerts that Prince did, uh, he did one in the afternoon and then he died. You know, the second one he yeah. didn't do? My friend of mine went to the concerts and he sent me the ticket stubs for both of them. Oh, the one in the piano and microphone tour in Atlanta. Yeah, well, both of them. The afternoon one and the, the canceled one. Well, to any consequence, I've got a, a first edition Skinnerd. That's got Ooh. the tour itinerary in it on the tour where they crashed uh, and never finished. Yeah. And uh, it's got the actual flyer in it with the entire tour well, itinerary on it. Well, gentlemen, I'd like to continue, but we're out of time. Ah, the clock wins again. Wendell, Skipper, thank you for joining me. Enjoyed it. Oh, that went fast. Real fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be back tomorrow night. we got to have you back sooner than a few months, man. man just fun. Let me know, man. I'm, I'm always sloughing at the end of the bar. <laughs> so just, hey, come on up here. You know. We'll talk to you all tomorrow night. We're